0: My name's David Connett, and my guest today is Peter Mayhew, Director and Senior Analyst at LightWords Imaging. Hello, Peter.
1: Hello there, David. Hi. Good to be back on the uh, SoundWaves again. Yeah, it's been
0: a couple of weeks since the last one, and uh, there's an awful lot in the news at the moment, but we're going to focus on – well, what are we going to focus on, Peter?
1: Well, this week we're focusing on the European Union um, and some of the many issues that float around there at the moment. We're going to look at issues around selling into the EU. We're also going to look at some issues with regard to reach and CLP compliance. I'll explain what CLP is a bit later. Um, it's not something that you put on your fish and chips, that's for sure. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Brexit and we're going to look at some legal action by the Security and Exchange Commission. We're going to talk a bit about our OEMs and what they've been up to over the past uh, two or three weeks. Uh, There's an interesting little story as well at the end of our session here today about um, somebody who's been rather naughty and stealing some toner over in America. So we'll talk about that too. So lots to cover.
0: All right. Selling into the EU. What's the big issue that uh, we need to share with our audience?
1: Well, I think the issue here that we need to really get to grips with is this issue of um, responsible parties. And yes. that's not something to do with uh, with COVID at all. Um, this is actually about the change that's coming down the line of how you sell in to the EU, how you need to be registered with an EU responsible party. And that includes, if you're selling on online platforms such as Amazon or eBay, it also includes uh, some, much, some tightening of the border controls and market surveillance um, as well that's going be, to be happening. The upside, and there's an upside, is that it will break down some European Union barriers, some, some unjustified you know, cross-border issues that are going on there, and may even mean some cheaper parcel deliveries across the European Union as well plus some uh, consumer rights uh, issues too. So, an interesting one.
0: Yeah, as I understand it, at the moment, you've got a company, they import, and they have total responsibility for importing it, it's product compliance and everything else. But there's a loophole in the sense that a, a company based outside of the European Union, in what the European Union calls a third country so that could be the united kingdom after january india china whatever you can open a, an account on an online platform and for the for, for the sake of description we'll say amazon you open the account you d- deliver stock to the amazon warehouse and you sell it through the amazon website in europe now the buyer at the moment is actually the importer not Amazon or whatever as the importer, they're legally responsible for making sure that product is compliant and it's a it's a big loophole because the standard the traditional uh, import model for commercial businesses you know, you import it you pay the duties, you clear it you're responsible for it this change, or part of the change in the legislation that comes in next July is that if you're a third country company and you're selling into Europe you must have an authorised representative in the European Union who will be responsible for ensuring that it's conforms to CE guidance it's REACH, ROHS compliant etc 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 and it takes the responsibility away from the private citizen and puts it onto the authorised person or representative now Amazon or eBay or any of those platforms could do that service for you, but um, <clears throat> obviously they're going to charge for it um, but it it takes that away if you are in a third country you're going to have to you know get your skates on and get uh, an authorized representative in place uh, and know that it's coming because um, amazon won't be able to or i'm assuming The online platform won't be able to sell your product in Europe without an authorised representative being in place.
1: Now, my understanding is this um, this is the EU regulation 2019-10-20. And I, and I understand it comes actually into full force in July next year. Is that yeah. My, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So you yeah. haven't really got too long to get this under, what's that, nine months now? If you've got to find a responsible party, let's just think about that for a second. Who could be your responsible party in the EU? Well, that could be a manufacturer. It could be an importer. It yeah. could be a distributor or a fulfillment service provider, like you said, an Amazon would do it for you, but, it or even an authorized a, representative. It could
0: even be an individual citizen, understands what's required and can act as your agent, your authorized representative.
1: Yeah, but uh, you can't just pick somebody out of the phone book, can you? They've got to be registered. They've, um, got, to, they've got to hold the product conformity, the technical yeah. files, the documentation. Yeah. They've got to verify the CE markings. They've got to, you know advise your authority of any risks that are associated with that product there. Yep. Um they've even got to have their name and contact information on the product or on its packaging. So That's right. There's a lot of responsibility there to be an authorised person, isn't it? And you're gonna to have to pay for it. Oh absolutely. Yeah. So, and of course if you're
0: selling a, a cheap toner inkjet cartridge at the moment that way, this is gonna
1: add a cost. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Quite yeah. A significant cost too.
0: Yeah, because uh, it's it's not going to be cheap. I mean, if you've got a you know if you've got a five hundred different products in your portfolio, do you pay somebody a, a monthly retainer to look after everything? Do you pay by product or whatever? So you've got eight months to get that set up and uh, in place. And if you're a UK company, obviously at the moment, you uh, although the United Kingdom has left the European Union, the transition period still applies. So There's no panic. On the 1st of January, if there is no deal, you become a third country and these rules will apply to you as well.
1: Well, it goes even further than that, David. I was reading a little bit of background reading on this. I understand, actually, that um, responsible persons in the European Union are not recognised in the UK on the 1st of January. So there is also a a sort of other way round issue yep. here that you need to think about as well if you're exactly. bringing stuff into the from say i know from china or wherever into the eu but you're also bringing that into the uk you are going to need a different person carrying out all those checks and balances in the so uk if, if you're you know, after company. the 1st of january
0: yeah if you're a big company you're going to be employing one or two people just to take care of all of that process yeah. And if you're a small company you're going to be using an agent or an agency or whatever to do it. So you know,
1: well, exactly. it's, yeah. it's you, a level you,
0: of bureaucracy that you're going to have to pay for that you didn't need to pay for before.
1: Well, you're absolutely right there. And I think the other twist that sort of comes on from this is the um, is the European Chemicals Agency. This is another story that we picked up on who carried out a, um, a project just recently. I don't know how much you know about the European Chemicals Agency, the ECHA. They have an enforcement forum apparently and they have a very sort of clear mission to uh, work for the safe use of chemicals and, and they want to be the centre of knowledge for sustainable management of chemicals. They've got some really grand and very sort of powerful remit here. You know, they, they're, they're responsible for sustainable management of chemicals, serving a wide range of EU policies, global initiatives, being a benefit to citizens and the environment and even beyond that, They are actually the enforcement forum for reach classification, labelling, and packaging. That's that CLP point there. Prior informed consent regulation, persistent organic pollutants regulation of health, environment, and waste products. It's uh, a whole chemical. Yeah, it's a whole chemical gambit. Yeah, yeah. So, so they had this project, as I say there, and and some sixteen member parts members. Member states took part. Uh, they looked at some 1,400 products, of which they found over 300 were not compliant. And this was in the areas of reach and of, of labelling. They carried out a whole range of checks on a, on this 1,400 products that were coming in to the EU there. And they focused primarily on the reach obligations there. But they found one of the areas, big areas they found was that cadmium apparently was a big problem in jewellery. I didn't know yeah. that. But apparently that was a big part of the uh, problem. And the thing is that
0: comes back to what we were just talking about, this new regulation next year, because that regulation brings in the establishment of market surveillance authorities, which sounds very big brotherish, but it, it is giving uh, an EU wide national infrastructure to basically uh, consumer protection organizations, which generally across the European Union are run on a state or in the UK county level. What it means is now that a product imported into the European Union, if it's found to be dangerous or, you know, toxic or something like this, the market surveillance authority in that country can flag it up. And so it will become banned or prohibited in all the countries. And it means that at the borders of the European Union, uh, that product coming in you know, can be blocked. Again, the market surveillance can also impose penalties uh, as well, so it really puts a whole infrastructure in place now that says the products coming into the EU have got to be safe, you've got the European Chemicals Authority saying, you know, this is what can come in and what can't come in and we're monitoring it and managing it, you've got market surveillance authorities say, here's a product that, you know, we've tested in a laboratory or whatever uh, and doesn't uh, conform and therefore it's banned and it's and across the European Union.
1: I, I think this is a really interesting point because one of the other spin-off points that came out of this is that the, this, this work that was carried out, this project, one of the sort of hidden objectives was really to develop and test the cooperation between the customs agencies and those authorities which are responsible for reach and for uh, classification, labeling and packaging. And they really found that actually they were actually working quite well together, and it just only went to enhance that cooperation. So it just reinforced that there's a structure there. Now, that's interesting as well, because you get into the... You know, this whole issue of, of Brexit here. And one of the big, big issues has been with with, with borders and, and border controls. There. <laughs> I understand already that there's quite a big uh, lorry uh, car park being built just on the uh, on the uh, English side to, to uh, hold uh, uh, shipments going across there you end up in the event of a no deal. It also focuses your mind on what's happening in Ireland and between Ireland and Northern Ireland there and some of the uh, great difficulties that we've had just recently in figuring out how we're going to manage that that EU border there and there's a there's an awful lot of preparation I started to read up of it, and I just I ran out of time to be quite candid about this you know to work through it all but there's a there's a lot of checks and balances and rules and regulations that are going to govern how that Border there between the EU and the UK is is managed going forward. Um, Peter, it's going to be chaos. It's it's going to be a very interesting time
0: three six months of next year whether you're shipping goods to the United kingdom or from the United kingdom it's just gonna be chaos because it' it really it, is it, it's like stepping back in time you know you're gonna to have to do your commercial invoices your customs declarations yeah you know, mm-hmm. five copies of your commercial invoice yeah i mean if you're experienced shipping to non-eu destinations and you've already got that infrastructure in place but for a lot of companies it's gonna be a steep learning curve but I guess the good news is, Peter, and there is a good news to this, all that extra paperwork is going to need to be printed on a laser or an inkjet
1: printer. Well, that's very true. That's very true indeed. <laughs> and we shouldn't complain too much, should we? No, that's right. That's right. But I th- you're absolutely right, though. Um, it is going to be different. It's going to be very different. And, and you know, we're, we're, the clock's ticking. You know, we're only like sort of what, maybe weeks away now from this becoming... Uh, The new normal, another new normal?
0: (laughs) Don't start me off too much on Brexit because um, all I see is problems. I mean, you know, the political decisions are above my pay grade, but all I see are potential problems.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 well, think
0: you, and I don't now's think you are seeing time. solutions
1: Yeah, now's the time to uh, if you haven't started engaging and, and preparing for this if you're exporting from a country in the European Union into the UK or your UK company who's um, has business and does business in the EU if you're not prepared now then you're behind the curve to really start working on this now So, shall we move on? Yeah Let's have a okay. chat about our OEM friends. HP. <laughs> I didn't quite catch that, David. <laughs>
0: I said <laughs> maybe I should. Okay, all right then. Let's. let's much. Let, let's kick it off with HP.
1: Okay, great. Right. Well, this is the news that the Security and Exchange Commission have imposed a, a $6 million penalty on HP for undisclosed sales practices. This is a, a case that goes back to early in 2015 and through 2016 when it was alleged, I think and proven as well, that uh, HP misled its investors uh, through a failure to disclose uh, the impact uh, on sales practices. Uh, of uh, some of the actions that their regional managers were, were taking to uh, use incentives to accelerate or pull in business into the current quarter from uh, from later think, quarters, if I, I understand think... that correctly.
0: Yeah, I think we should just add the caveat that HP neither admits or denies the uh, allegations, but have agreed to pay the $6 million.
1: That is absolutely true, and, uh, and that's, that's going to be my next the, point. <laughs> the,
0: the genesis of the, the case is that uh, sales have been declining for period because people are printing less. They were pushing product into the channel in the Asia region. They were giving dealers significant discounts, knowing that some of those dealers were doing grey exports the asia figures up but in europe and uh, africa they were seeing hp product in the market that they hadn't sold and obviously it goes around and the, the net result is there was a, a boost to hp's figures which you know something
1: around about 450 million yeah uh, yeah yeah
0: isn't it? It, yeah and and the thing is that's pushed through the channel but then a couple of you know over the next year or so that product's in the channel and it has to be sold so it slows down everything else so it was an unmanaged Spike as somebody once as uh, somebody described it to me,
1: yeah, and of course, that had co- this whole activity here had consequences on um on HP's uh stock. I think there was a drop there as well that we saw. Oh, There's always, a- <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, you
0: know, I, I've got <clears throat> through my pension fund, I've got a few stocks in in HP, but fortunately, I have other shares that um perform better. Um, <laughs>
1: There you go. (laughs) But an interesting story, that one. So, you know, um, a bit of a slap on the wrist there for um, HP uh, there. But interesting on the subject of OEMs, there's a few um, uh, sort of other announcements uh, whizzing around there. I thought the interesting one was Epson shipped its uh, 50 millionth uh, ink tank uh, printer during october yep. which is quite a milestone actually you know it just you know all of that you know all that's been said about inkjet you know inkjet is gaining um, is gaining traction to use an americanism there it really is uh, moving along and then there's the other news as well about from rico that popped out um, they acquired a um, technology company called mti technology to help them uh, Strengthen their expertise in uh, cyber and data security. Bring you know how they uh, approach data center modernization, IT yeah. managed services is another capability they got from that purchase, and also uh, transformation services. Which I can I think that's a whole subject for a, for a, for a podcast there about how. The OEMs are diversifying and moving into different sectors. We had Conicum and Alta just recently buying increasing their stake in management graphics, which is um, much more in the production and industrial inkjet space as well. Just in the past uh, few days, they made a, a further investment there. I there's there's a, there's a lot going on in the way of diversification at an OEM at an OEM level. There,
0: I think that there is indeed. I'm not even sure diversification is the right word. I think that um, if you look at the average small business today, they've probably got an MPS program. They've probably got a an in-house IT team or an external IT team. They've probably got a communication setup. You know, phone company, etc. I see all of those services coming together. Your printing, your servers, your security, your connectivity, all of that will be delivered, you know, by one organisation. Mm. And I see don't get me wrong, that's not gonna happen next week or next month, but it is the direction of travel. And I think one or two of the OEMs, and you've said them both, Rico and Conecum and Alta, are moving in that direction.
1: They are. There's no question about there's no question that you see more and more of this move towards IT service. And you have to wonder if we you know, if you sort of look in your crystal balls and and look and see what what's you know these companies going to look like in five years time print is probably not going to be the major part of their revenue it's It's, probably going to be around the whole it infrastructure it management it services there and print is just going to be a you know potentially just a a much smaller part of that business as we as we go further down the line the printer is going to
0: be is it's just there you will have to print documents and Post-Brexit, probably more documents, but it is just printing. It is the growth will be in bringing together all of those uh, core business functions of connectivity, telephone, mobile, cloud, you know, um, IT in its true sense, you know, desktop devices, servers, etc. print, all of those things come together and who owns it? Because I think this year there's been a, a, a massive transition where the IT team, whether that's the in-house team or an external has become the facilitator of connectivity. So you've got mm. this split of people that are working from home, working in different locations, working in the office, you know, working in the car, and the IT team has facilitated that. So they even mm. provided the connectivity to the cloud, the tablet, the mobile phone, the, your laptop, whatever, 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 whatever. And somewhere in that business is an MPS program and the MPS provider has lost the control of that network and so yes they'll get the clicks on the print and they'll get the um the leasing on the technology but as print declines and just remember the more you're connected the less you do print you you will Mm. still print essential documents but the less you'll print you you're going to lose sight of that And that's the big challenge. So I think if I was a a manufacturer of A3 devices who've been making an awful lot of money over the years providing products that are not really needed because very few people print an A3. It's Mm. a big device. that sits in the corner. You could suddenly build in the server, the communications package, and so much other connectivity into that box that sits in the corner that it then has purpose. And that's the thing. And you, you take, like, how technology has changed. I mean, I remember, okay, it was a long time ago, But we had these blade servers and they made so much noise, those 400 hertz fans. And now, you know, with the change to processors and solid state storage and all the rest of it, you know, the server is almost silent. The server we use now is probably 70% smaller than the server that it replaced. And if you looked actually inside the cabinet, all of that tech could be built in a, the footprint of a, a reasonable uh, MFP.
1: Yeah, we really are, re- you know, we've probably said this before, uh, but you know, we really are reaching a, um, a watershed moment, I think, in the printing industry here. Yeah, so much is going. To, it has changed, and so much is going to change over the next, you know, twelve, eighteen months. Here, yeah, for especially sure. with the with the ecological direction that the the world seems to be taking now as well. Yeah. It's an interesting time, an interesting time, and lots lots of lots of change going on there. Speaking of which, moving to a slightly different subject area, there's also change for one individual on the uh, horizon here over in Austin, uh, Texas, isn't there? This is an interesting story, isn't
0: it? (laughs) So this is a simple story. Um, Chapin working in the library in Austin, Texas, managed to buy 1.3 million dollars worth of toner products take them home and sell them on the internet uh, and made a lot of money so rightly he's been found he's been convicted and uh, you know he'll get punished but I have to say Peter um, what checks and balances were in place for somebody to buy $1.3 million worth of
1: toners. It's a very interesting one.
0: It's not like, <laughs> you know, a few, it's not 50, it's not 100, it is an awful lot of toner. Yeah, yeah.
1: It reminds me of that jolly cash. Song. I think it was Johnny Cash who wrote a song about how he built, um, a car out of umpteen different components. Do you remember that song, 80s yeah. and 80s ago? Yeah. It's a bit like that. It's sort of one piece at a time, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. walking out the door with them. But yeah, yeah. it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting yeah. story. But apparently, I think when I read sort of some background reading on this, he, um, there were some very poor, um, uh, purchasing procedures in place there and I think uh, that during his time in the um, uh, in the offices there I, I, the way I read it was that he was actually in quite a key position to um, uh, see where the, the gaps in the processes were and, and uh, where, they, where there was insufficient oversight apparently and,
0: and that again says uh, you know mm-hmm the setup wasn't good in the first place and you know if, if somebody was able to rip off 1.3 million dollars worth of toners what else has been uh slipped out of
1: the back door well yes is it this is the question all right peter suddenly the
0: the time has flown by so are you doing anything good this weekend
1: oh this weekend oh it's the grandkids this weekend you know okay. uh we should just mention, David, as well before we go, that if you want to be a guest, we would love to have some guests here. We've not had anybody take us up on this yet, but we'd love to have a guest on the podcast. If you want to be a guest, then please just go to the Recycler website and yep. you'll find the email and contact details there. Yep. And News at the
0: com will, will get you into the programme.
1: Who's at the com? So if yep. you've got something you want to talk about or an issue you feel strongly about, and I know actually that we have an audience out there who do have... A lot of opinions, and a yeah. lot of things to say. So don't be shy. Just get on the uh, on the email there. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll we'll bring you into uh, one of the podcasts.
0: Brilliant. Okay, Peter. Have a good weekend, and I'll speak to you again soon.
1: Will do. Thank you, David.